Thank you, Lena. Morning, family. Great to see you. I just got the message on our group here that we had 14 people baptized this morning, plus another seven from Reverb. So why don't you give them a really good round of applause? Isn't it wonderful? Well, I've really been enjoying our time that we have been talking about prayer. And uh, as you know, the, the word pray is an acronym that stands for pause, reflect, rejoice, ask, and or yield. And uh, today we're really going to go a little bit deeper into the why and uh, talk about yielding as part of our growing in our prayer. And uh, this is an aspect that we want to add to our prayer life. And what we're talking about today is entitled contemplation. And um, we want to grow in our ability to live a contemplative life. Now, one of the basic, most basic human needs is the need to be known. We all want to be noticed. We all want to know that somewhere somebody knows me. That somebody cares about the fact that I'm alive, that I exist. We want to be known. We live in a world where there are many tools available to us right now that we can use so that we can, in a sense, put ourselves out there so that we can be known. Not only is it social media, but in many other ways, but perhaps so dominant in our society today is the impact of social media, particularly on this desire that we have that I want to be known. I want to know that there's some people that know that I exist. It feels quite horrible if you feel your life is unnoticed or that doesn't matter or you're just one in many, that you're just a number. It can feel very disconcerting. We want to be known. So that if I'm known, I can be loved. Because if somebody knows me, it may be that they can love me. So we have this need. But we also have a fear that we deal with. And the fear that we deal with is the fear of being rejected. So on the one hand, I want to be known. But on the other hand, if I'm known... I could be rejected. And so a lot of our energy and time and mind space and heart space is spent dealing with these two realities. These two forces or desires or experiences that impact upon us very heavily. I want to be known. Because if I'm not known, then do I really matter? But if I'm known... It could lead to me being rejected and not accepted, marginalized, pushed out. And so as humans, we live in this struggle. In the New York Times article, a journalist by the name of Tim Crider used a phrase. He spoke about the mortifying ordeal of being known. The full quote goes like this. If we want the rewards of being loved, we have to submit to the mortifying ordeal of being known. If you want to be loved, you have to take the risk to let somebody know you. Now, the concern we have, but if people really know me, will they still love me? So often we have guilt, we have shame. We feel like failures. We feel like we're not good enough. And so we want to withdraw. 
and to not take the risk of being rejected, I compromise on my need to be known. And then I'm not known, and then I feel my life is worth perhaps a little bit less. Now I know generally we fall into the camps of extrovert and introvert, and we deal with those things differently. But they're still there for all of us. The desire, the need to be known, and the fear of rejection. Another famous New Yorker, also with the name Tim, and a surname that starts with K, but not a journalist, the, the famous Tim Keller, pastor of the, Re, the Reformer Church in New York, put it like this. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. If I feel that people love me, but it's because they don't really know me, I can never take that love to the bank, really. I can never feel like it's good enough. Because I always think, if they just really knew me, they wouldn't love me. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. So on the other hand, if people do know me, and then they stop loving me, that's the fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. What we need more than anything else is to be known and to be loved at the same time. To be fully known, to be completely known. And this is what God offers us. God says, I know you. And I love you. I don't know about your house, but in our house we have some rooms that when people come and visit, we close those doors. Because we don't want them to see that, what's going on in that room. We have a, a room that where we put all our, it's like a small little space where we put all the, the, the washing and the socks and everything, you know. That room will always be closed. And we hide it away. Because if people see that room, they will have a lot less of an opinion about us. My office door is generally closed because my office downstairs where, where, where we live in our house is sort of the central room. And so everything that nobody knows what to do with, guess where they put it, is in my office. I have become the depot, the logistic center that gets all this stuff and then have to go and put it where it actually should belong. And so generally when you come to our house, my office door will be closed. We all have rooms like that. And so we edit our lives, don't we? We curate our lives, whether it's in the, in the physical reality or online. We, we put out what we want people to know about us. Just enough so that they can know us. God says, I know you. I know what's going on behind the closed doors. I know the parts of you that you will never show anybody. I know you. I know what you don't even know. There's nothing that is hidden from me. I know you. Now if you understand 
the fear of rejection that we have, then you can feel perhaps even the tension that comes with that statement where God says, I know you. It leads to David writing in one of the Psalms where he says, Lord, where will I go from your presence? Where will I run? The, the way he wrote that in the original language is not, hey, where can I go from God's presence? God's everywhere. It's God, you are suffocating me. Where can I go so that I can just have some privacy? So can I have something for myself? God says, I know you. I know you. There's nothing hidden. There's no thought. There's no motive that is hidden. You cannot pull the wool over my eyes. You cannot lie to me. I know you. But I love you. And that is the greatest miracle, isn't it? That he knows me, yet he loves me. He says, I completely know you. I know all your bad stuff. I know everything that, that you should be ashamed of. But I love you. And it's not a kind of love that just says, ah, it's okay. It's a kind of love that says, I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you. I died for yours, for your sin to be forgiven so that you can be loved. That's why we had communion today. And by the way, communion is an exercise of contemplation. Jesus said, remember, contemplate, think about what I've done for you. What Jesus did for us on the cross is deal with our brokenness, our shame, our guilt, so that we can be perfectly known and perfectly loved, even though we don't deserve to be loved. We have much to hide and be ashamed of, but God says, I know you and I love you. How does our response to that? Our response to that, the only appropriate response to that, is to echo the words of Psalm 139, where it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Inspect me, Lord. Dissect me. Take me apart. Deconstruct me, Lord. Dig into me. Separate everything so that I can be known by you that's the response of a Christian is I want to be known by God and it's so important that that becomes the thing that we're comfortable with and the, the life that we live is a life that says I want to be fully known so often what we do however is we try and fool God don't we you see if I can lie to myself then I think I can lie to anybody and I can get away with it. We, we like to be known, but only so much. So what we do is we keep telling ourselves about certain things in our lives and we cover it up. We, we, we give it a name that makes it acceptable, that makes it socially acceptable, that, that just doesn't make it so bad. So that I can learn to live with it and accept myself with my bad stuff. Then I think, well, then I can convince others and they can learn to live with my bad stuff. Because really, shouldn't, nobody should expect too much from me. And then, and then we sort of organize our lives and we pad ourselves with these little half-truths and white lies and self-deceptions. Because then we could carry on in our merry way and ignorance is bliss. 
I don't have to feel too bad because I've covered it. But in the midst of that comes a, a God that says, I want to search you because I know you. And he says, come on, let's bring it all out. Let's lay it bare. If I think I can lie to God, I'm deceived. But we do it so often, don't we, as Christians? We think we can pull the wool over God's eyes. But the scripture says, whatever is kept in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. Now, it's not because God wants to embarrass you. He just loves you so much that he will not just stand by and allow you to lie to yourself. He will get in your face. He will confront you. He will say, no, search me, O God. And the best way that you and I can live is to stop trying to deceive him and lie to him and make ourselves look better than what we are and to submit to a searchlight and say, come, Lord. But to remember that that searchlight is not to shame us, it's to set us free. It's to release us from the pain and the burdens and the brokenness and the fear that we carry. To even release us from our hopes and dreams that are so far less than what he has intended for us. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Know my heart. I think it should be just the way we all live our lives. That's why community is so important. That's why Christianity is always a group sport. It's not an individualized activity. But to live out our faith, to live an expressive faith requires that I live a life that is open to inspection. First by God, but within a community there will always be a sense of, here's my life. Know me. Now I'm not saying that you know, it's my responsibility to let everybody know all my deepest and darkest secrets. But I'm also not going to live in a way that tries and hides them and covers them up and lies about them. I'm fully convinced that the way I try personally to live my life is to live it as open as I can so that if some, one of my nonsense, bad stuff, things falls out and somebody notices and calls me on it, I'm better off that it actually fell out. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm refused to live under that stress of trying to curate and manage everything because then I become God of my own life. I can become the idol of my own life by trying to manage and control everything. We give it over. We say, Lord, here I am. You know, it's amazing to me when you live a life of honesty before the Lord, it becomes a simple life. It becomes a straight life in terms of it's not a life that you have to try and figure out now what's really going on. You know, when you're doing business with somebody and you not quite sure where is the money coming from and where is it going and who's handling it and, and no matter what kind of auditing and accounting you do, you just cannot figure out what's going on here. Generally the rule is there's bad stuff going on. I don't want to live my life like that. I want it for people to be easy to say that's who that person is. That's how we live our lives. We live our lives under the comfort of the searchlight of God. The warmth of being completely exposed to the one that loves us. He says, I know you, but I love you. 
Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7, we've read this before. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Prayer for us as Christians is a relational activity. It's something we do because we have a relationship with the God to whom we pray. Jesus said, our Father. And I said it when we spoke about unanswered prayer. Often what Jesus is doing when, he, when we're wrestling in prayer is he's inviting us closer. He's saying, let me know you. Come under my gaze. Come into my arms and seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Keep on pursuing. Do you know that as a believer, you will never stop pursuing? You will never stop seeking. I love the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because in one sense as Christians, we found Jesus, but in another sense, I'm still finding him. Hey, is that, is that true? In one sense, I, I know God, but in another sense, I'm just scratching the surface of who he is. I'm pursuing him all my days. And do you know the, how valuable this is in your life and my life? That we have a reason every morning to get out of bed because every day I'm seeking to know him. Every day, no matter what the day holds, no matter how dark the clouds or if it's stage six load shedding or level six weather, or the rand is going through the floor, or the petrol price is skyrocketing, I can get up because I have a reason to seek and keep on seeking. The a psychologist, a neuroscientist, sorry, by the name of Jack Panskip, wrote an, an article and did some studies. And he said that of the seven core instincts in the human brain, which are anger, fear, panic, grief, maternal care, pleasure, lust, play, and seeking, he says seeking is the most important. The title of his paper that he studied was, as long as you're looking for happiness, you have a chance to be happy. And the subtitle was, if you find happiness, you will become unhappy. Because the idea of human life is this constant seeking to find. And God made us that way. God made us to be seekers, to be people that are always going further. That's why this, the psalm in Psalm 84 says, Blessed is the man whose heart is set on pilgrimage. We live our lives thinking that at some point I've got to arrive. Guess what? You're never going to arrive. Not on this side of the grave. Your arrival is not so great in this world. It's a plot of dirt. That's your arrival point. But we will go to be with the one who we seek. And so we want to live our lives in that way where we keep the joy of seeking. In, in Luke 10, we have this wonderful occasion that's recorded for us. When Jesus was on the road and he turned off and needed some refreshment and some food. And, and, and so he went and visited a family that became really good friends of his. Lazarus and his sisters. And in Luke 10, verse 38, we read, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 
Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Can I ask you to do something with me? Can you change Martha, Martha to whatever your name is? Louis, Louis, you are worried and upset about many things. Amen? Did you do that? Did you put your name in there? Is it not true for you? I mean, we live in a world where the busy you are, the better. It's become our favorite greeting. How are you? Busy. Busy. You know, it's November. We're busy. I have not met a month where we're not saying we're busy. It's become the sort of, you know, the thing that makes us feel like, we've, like we mean something is how busy I am. Jesus said, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and, will not be, and it will not be taken away from her. This is not a story where Jesus is saying Christians should just sit still and do nothing. And be lazy, unproductive. This is a story where he's saying, your whole of your life flows from one place. All your activity will never give you the one thing that you're truly looking for. But if you find the one thing that you need, it will give meaning to all your activity. This one thing is to sit at the feet of Jesus. What do you find at the feet of Jesus? You find him. You look up at him. And you begin to see him. You get to know him. Because guess what happens when you get to know Jesus? You get to know yourself. Because he made you. You don't only get to know who you are, but you get to know who you're supposed to be. But not only do you get to know yourself at the feet of Jesus, you get to know everything else at the feet of Jesus. Because everything that exists, exists in relationship with him. And relation to him. In him we live and move and have our being. Even things that are evil exist in relation to Jesus. They are evil because they are not his will relation to him. So if I get to look at, upon Jesus, everything else will find its place, its value, its meaning. That's why it's the one thing we need. If I want to live my life with the desire to be known and loved that heightens the possibility of rejection. The only way I can live a life between those two tensions is at the feet of Jesus. Because he tells me who I really am and he tells me that I'm really loved. He takes away my fear of rejection. I mean, I, I grew up and I'm so deeply thankful for LTS that we have in the church. I did my first LTS when I was 15 years old here in this church. I don't know how many of you will remember Pastor Brian Innes. He was one of our pastors here years and years ago. And we did one at his house. We stayed over for a whole week and we did LTS. I think they called it a mini LTS. And since then I've done so many. But not just in LTS, just in life in community, life in the word, life in the spirit. I'm so thankful that so often God gets... He comes to me with like a, like a little bit of a, like a needle almost and a little hook. And he starts unraveling. And he's saying, that fear of rejection is causing all of this tension and pain in your life. Let me heal that. Let me deal with that. Because he knows me. He knows me.
I'm so thankful that he doesn't just say, oh, well, I'm not going to expect much from you. He says, no, I'm going to expect a lot because I know you. I know who I made you. And I am not threatened by any of the things that have become problems in your life. I can heal you. Friend read it for us so beautifully today. By his stripes I am healed. My fear of rejection, my absolute craving for acceptance, and my deep need for to be known and to be loved can be redeemed because of who Jesus is. It can become something that brings me freedom, not an idol. In the world we live in today, self-expression, self-knowledge, self-portrayal has become our idol. We spend so much time and energy thinking that we can put ourselves forward the best way. And Jesus says, you're wasting time because you don't even know yourself. You don't even know your end from your beginning. Please go and read Psalm 90. You are like grass that is here today and gone tomorrow. The only thing that makes your life worthwhile is the fact that you are created by God, that he knows you and he loves you. Otherwise, your life is a, a vapor. But in him, it has purpose and meaning. The one thing we need. And this is why we want to live contemplative lives. Lives that are not just the, the hurry, the rush from point A to point B. To find self-expression. Years and years and years ago, when I was a student here, we were sent, a friend, two of us, we were sent up to Katima Mulilu to go and take over a, a church there for seven weeks as the pastor was coming here to do LTS and some other training. Pastor Titus Sutole, who now has a church in the, here in the east of Pretoria. And so we went up and traveled and got to Katima Mulilu and um, it was quiet. Katima Mulilu there in the Kaprivi Strip, there's not a whole lot going on. Our only responsibility was to take care of Sundays. We couldn't speak the language of the people, so we were actually pretty useless. And I'm a kind of energetic person, so I um, can remember we were there like one week, hey, it's like a katima, you know. By the second week, I was bored out of my mind. And I was like, okay. So I thought, okay, well, the one thing I can do is pray. And I started praying and praying for everybody and praying and praying. And thought, you know, and then that got boring. I was like, oh, no, Lord, I don't know. I need something to do. And one day I was just like sitting in the church there and I was like wrestling with the Lord. How can you take seven weeks of my life? You know, when you're like 21, 22 years old, seven weeks is a lifetime. How can you take seven weeks of my life and come put me here and I'm bored out of my mind? And, and the Lord said this to me. He said, are you prepared to do nothing for me? If I ask you to do nothing, is, will you be okay with that? And I hit a wall, man. I said, Lord, I don't know, that's a bit too much to ask. You see, because if I'm doing something for the Lord, I feel like my life has meaning and purpose. But if the Lord says do nothing, then I've got no control, I've got no contribution, I've got no sense of, look at me, know me, know my deeds. Lord, I've done nothing for you. Now, I, fortunately, the Lord said, just testing, just checking. It still didn't get more exciting. It was still like, you know. But it was a deeply educational time in my life where I realized so much of me is about my activity. 
Can we pull off the road every now and then and just stop? And let the unforced rhythms of grace reorganize our lives a bit. You know, when you're driving down on long roads in South Africa, they tell you every two hours you have to stop. Just take a break. Because you're going to start making bad decisions. You're going to get too tired. You're not going to be as sharp and responsive as you need to be. I think the same is true spiritually. Every so often you just need to pull off the road. Remember in the good, in the, I don't want to say good old days, but in the old days, they used to build those little picnic spots next to the roads. You know, and then you'd drive and stop under a tree and open your Coke and the bees came and stung you all. It was lovely, the good old days. Now we don't use those anymore because they're just not safe. But contemplation is pulling off the road every now and then and just being quiet. Just saying, Lord, here I am. I'm going to put my activity aside. I'm going to put everything I put my trust in aside. Pete Gregg, in the book that we're using, How to Pray, a Simple Guide for Normal People, says that the following, if petition is prayer at its simplest, And intercession is prayer at its most powerful. Contemplation is prayer at its deepest and most personally transformational. I need time every now and then. Because prayer is relational. Our Father. I need to orientate my life from that cornerstone, from that fixed point. Our Father. I am the Son of God. Of God. I am loved by Him. I am known by Him. But I don't know about you, I keep forgetting that. I keep crowding that out of my life. I keep developing bad habits and tensions and struggles and wrestles because I keep thinking that I have to prove that I am the Son of God or work to be able to be the Son of God. Every now and then I need to stop and just say, Our Father, this is who I am. And be quiet with him. Contemplate him. We have a rich tradition in the Christian world of contemplation. We are part of a tradition of the charismatic Pentecostal tradition that contemplation is not what we're really strong at. But it is definitely something we can grow in and should learn. And I'm so thankful for people like Pastor Jack. He can't be here this morning. That has become a bit of a voice in our community. About the value of contemplation. But in in church history, people like Teresa of Avia said, it is the prayer of quiet. David Banner, the socialist, said, a wordless trusting openness to the God who dwells at the center of our being and at the center of the world. Richard Foster, the Quaker writer that wrote so much about disciplines of the faith, said, a loving attentiveness to God in which talk recedes into the background and feeling comes to the foreground. Now I know our faith is not led by our feeling, it's led by the truth of the word. But we also know that the scripture teaches us that to know scripturally is not to know mentally, but it's to know with your whole being. I don't know about you, but so often I find myself, my mind knows that I'm loved by God, but my life acts very differently. Because I don't know it. The only thing that dealt with my rejection in my life and my fear of rejection and continues to deal with it is the realization of the Father's love for me. And not just knowing that because I've read it or somebody else has told me about it, but I've experienced it and keep on experiencing it. I'm loved. I know it. 
I can know it better. And every year I get to know it a little better. But I'm loved. And I know. Contemplation is less logic and more feeling. As Pete Gregg describes it, it is stargazing, not astronomy. I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot about astronomy. I, I learned a little bit of astronomy in my late teens, early 20s, because it was a great way to take girls outside at night and show them the stars. That's about as useful as astronomy got to me. You know, there's the Orion's belt, and it was impressive. And I did some in orientation. But I don't know, but I can stand outside and look up at the stars and just feel amazed by the God who made all of this. Contemplation is being moved by music more than what it is studying music. Again, I know nothing about music, but I can be moved by music. We need those places where we connect with God and where it's not about us being in control because we can fashion everything according to our words, but where we yield to Him, where we release to Him. Contemplation is biblical. Psalm 19 verse 14, May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Psalm 61 verse, uh, 62 verse 1, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. Psalm 46 verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. Do you know that you cannot know God if you fill the space with talking? Because as long as we fill the space with talking, we are in control. But the moment we dare to become silent, we allow God to begin to fill the space. The problem is we don't have control. Therefore, a prayer life can never be a life that's all about asking. Next week, Pastor Mel is going to talk to us about listening. But in contemplation, it's about saying, Lord, here I am. I think I know. I think I understand. But I'm going to step back and, and give you the reins. So contemplation practically is learning to be quiet with the Lord. Learning to give Him the space to fill us so that we can be known by Him and be known through Him. Pete Gregg says there are three steps or three phases of contemplation, contemplative prayer. The first one is meditation. It's where I come and it's me and God. And I come in and I start focusing, putting myself aside, meditating. You know, Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who meditates. Meditate, as Pastor Jack puts it, is chewing and chewing and chewing. It's chew-chewing. It's chewing the, the, the scripture, letting it sink in. It's, 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 it's that space where we, when we meditate as Christians, we fill our minds with Jesus. Meditation in worldly practice is so often based on Eastern religion, and that's about emptying yourself. Our meditation is not about emptying ourselves, it's about filling ourselves. Coming to Jesus and saying, I, wanna, I want my vision, I want everything to be filled with you. 
So often what we do in meditation is in that phase, that first phase is you, you can read a short personal portion of scripture or, or use a song, a, a biblical song or a, even a picture and you just allow your mind to focus on that so that all the distraction starts fading. Now normally, I don't know about you, but when I start meditating, I'm focusing, then all the memory starts firing. I'm supposed to phone this person, I must do this. The great thing is you just make a list. You just write those down put them aside, and eventually your mind starts slowing down. We're not used to it. Our world is not made for this. You just slow down. And you begin to think upon the Lord. I use a phrase, for instance, I keep saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your spirit right now, that you just help me to just focus on you. Thank you, Jesus. And just do that. The second phase or part of it is contemplation where it's now moves from me and God to God and me as the message said in the prayer of Matthew 6 the focus shifts from me to God now I'm not so much aware of my thinking about God but I'm starting to become more aware of his thinking and it becomes a beautiful place where I start just looking up at Jesus and starting to recognize his presence and who he is. And then the last phase is communion where it's only about God. It doesn't always happen. None of these three, it doesn't have to happen all three phases. But at least start with the one. It takes a bit of practice. But if you go through it, sometimes you get to that place where it's like you forget about time. You enter a space where it's like the world around you just grows strangely dim. As the old song goes, in the light of his glory and grace. It's like everything else, just the noise dies down. Nothing is shouting at me anymore, internally or externally. And I'm just getting so aware of him. You've experienced this. All of you. It's not new to you. Sometimes we experience it here when we worship. I think this morning we experienced some of it. You know, you come into a worship service and... And at first, you know, you like rush to get here and did the kids get put at C4G and, you know, and oh, there's so-and-so and I've got to remember to tell them something and it's a bit warm or it's a bit cold and, and the, the music, I'm, you know, it's not my favorite song and, and you sort of have to work a bit to meditate, to focus in a time of worship. But once you get it right, suddenly you start feeling like, here I am, Lord, and I'm connecting with the Lord. And then as you journey forward, you start, it's like, oh, wow, there's God. He's been here all along, but now I've stepped into his space and I'm like, wow, and then it's God and me. And then every so often, we get to that place where it's like nothing else matters in the world. It's just us and the Lord. I mean, where you get lost in worship. It doesn't care what the song is. It doesn't matter who, who does what. I'm just in the Lord's presence. I, I don't know about you, but I've experienced a number of times in worship where like, I've, I've had times where I can hold up my arms for more than an hour, just stand like this in the Lord's presence. Now, if I try and do that in my own strength, I can't even go 10 minutes. Then my mind's shouting at me, stop it, what are you doing? But when I get lost in the Lord's presence, I can stand like this. I've, I've laid on this carpet before in the Lord's presence, and I'm like, I don't know how long. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's an hour, but you don't know because you are like in the scripture talks about Peter was in a trance, 
Paul talks about being in the third heaven. I don't know all the language, but you just get to that place. You've even experienced it in other places. Sometimes you go to a movie or a concert and you'll experience something like that. Natasha and I wanted to go on Thursday night just to go and just the two of us. And so we went to a movie and we got into the movie theater and it was cold. It was freezing inside that movie theater. So we never got quite comfortable. Then the movie started and it was, the movie felt like it was dark. I couldn't really see a lot. It was slow. We wanted to go and just see a light movie with action and just enjoy ourselves. We weren't like drama. We don't want any drama. And this movie for an hour, it was drama and drama. And it's a two hour, two and a half hour long movie. Sort of about an hour and 10 minutes. We were like, we haven't got past the meditation phase. It's still us in the movie and it's not working. It's not grabbing us. We want to go home. Let's go sleep rather. We're that age now. You know, let's go sleep rather. But sometimes you go and you sit in a movie and it's first you have to work a bit and it's people chatting and but then you, you get into the place where, wow, it's a good movie. It starts captivating you and you're enjoying it. And then you can sometimes get to a place where you actually forget about anything and you're completely engrossed. You don't even know that this is a movie anymore. These are actors. It's like, wow, we made for that. But in prayer, that's what we can experience. Is it really worth it to, inf- to build in some contemplation into your life? Because your time is precious, I know. Sometimes it's the choice between sleeping a little bit more and having some time of contemplation. Sometimes it means parking a few things that you know I need to get done or somebody else thinks I should get done and uh, just being quiet, sitting still. Is it really worth it? Does it really matter? I think we tell ourselves all the time it, it's not worth it because otherwise we would do it more often. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want to tell you the first thing that we must remember is you become what you consume. You become what you consume. What you feed yourself with will be what you will be. We are what we eat. Not in food, just. But what we feed our souls with is what we become. We are being transformed, each of us, daily by what we consume. If we don't pull off the road every now and then and allow the Lord to realign us, to be captivated by Him, to be quiet in His presence, to let Him fill the space, then we will just continue to be consumed by what we are consuming. And our lives will slowly drift. And they could even be meaningful, busy lives, but they never quite in the peace of the Lord and in the grace of the Lord. Not only do you become what you consume, but you also become what you see. In Matthew 6, verse 22 to 23, For the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Jesus said, we don't only see with the eyes, we see through the eyes. I see the world the way I am. What I put in front of my eyes becomes what I see. If I keep putting 
the brokenness, the struggle, the failure of the world in my eyes, that's how I will see the world. But the more I'm living at the feet of Jesus, looking up at Jesus, the more I will begin to see him in the world. Because now I'm not only seeing him, I'm seeing through him. The more I'm gazing upon Jesus, the more I will begin to recognize him everywhere I go. The scripture says, pray without ceasing. That pray without ceasing probably doesn't mean sitting in your quiet every day in your room just praying. All Christians shouldn't work, we shouldn't eat, we shouldn't do anything, we should just be praying. That's not what he means. He means live a lifestyle where you're gazing upon Jesus all the time so that even your work becomes prayer because you're doing it seeing Jesus everywhere. Mother Teresa, when she received her Nobel Prize, gave a fantastic speech, and in the speech she said the following. We may be doing social work in the eyes of people, but we are really contemplatives in the heart of the world. For we are teaching, touching the body of Christ 24 hours. We have 24 hours in this presence, presence of Jesus. She was saying because they're spending so much time as these nuns gazing upon Jesus, contemplating Jesus, that from there they go with Jesus in their sight and they look at the poor people in the slums of Calcutta and they see Jesus. They see Jesus in the heart of the world. Even in the brokenness, I no longer see brokenness, I see something in relation to Jesus. No longer am I serving these people because it makes me feel good, I'm serving these people because I'm contemplating Jesus. It changes what we see, it changes so I want to say to you, it's worth it. It's worth it to develop, worship team guys, will you join me? Razan, um, It's worth it. It changes the rhythms of our lives. To sit at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said, it's the one thing you need. So while the totality of our prayer life is that we pause, we rejoice, we reflect, we ask and we ask boldly because Jesus said you don't have because you don't ask. Ask and I ask and we ask the Lord everything we want. We know ultimately, like I said last week, we're not trying to get answers to our prayers. We're trying to get to know our God. And even through the answers of our prayers or the unanswered prayers, we are getting to know him. And that's the prize. That's the pot at the end of the rainbow is I get to know God because if I know him, I know everything because he is everything. So how does contemplation work? Can you guys put up the picture for me on the screen? I want us to do a quick exercise in contemplation. It's gonna take us two or three minutes. The guys that are on live stream, this is gonna really work well for you because you can see this clear picture clearer than we can in the room. Can I ask you, just, we're gonna, two minutes to look at the picture on the screen. This is the famous painting by Rembrandt, or a version of it, Christ in the Storm of the Sea of Galilee in Mark 4. And we've done this as a staff team, as a senior team. We've spent a bit of time just contemplating on this picture. This is the, the storm before the miracle where Jesus calms the storm. Can I ask you just to sort of focus right now let's go into the first phase of meditation 
And we do that by filling our minds with something. And I want you to fill your minds with that picture. As you start looking to the picture, one thing you may recognize is the different stages that people are going through as they are in a storm. On the left-hand side is the, probably the guys that were the experienced fishermen trying to do everything in their human power to keep this boat from sinking. Perhaps you can identify that you are in a storm right now and you are in that phase where you are trying to white-knuckle it and you are trying to do everything in your power to keep this boat afloat. If you look to the more right-hand side, interestingly, it becomes a bit darker. You can see Jesus in the middle there but then you see people around him that are far more passive than the people on the left of the picture. Amongst them, you'll see people that are kneeling at the feet of Jesus. There's one guy sitting at the feet of Jesus. You can't really see him with his head bowed. He's completely just in prayer. You see the guy with his hand on the rudder trying to keep things going. You see the two men arguing with Jesus, probably saying, why don't you care what's happening to us? You see the guy just vomiting over the side of the boat. You, you can even see a guy turning away from Jesus completely. He's given up. He's like, oh, not, not, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. Perhaps you identify with one of them. As you contemplate, where am I, Lord? Me and God, where am I? So just come, Holy Spirit, just speak to us right now. Just allow the Lord to, to say where you are. In this picture. Then we'll enter the next phase where it's not me and God, it's God and me. And then you start saying, Where are you, Jesus? Now, here we can see where Jesus is. Where's Jesus in your life right now? Jesus, where are you? Me and God. And then God and me. It's not so important, Jesus, that you, that you know what I'm doing. I want to know what you're doing. I want the focus to shift, Lord Jesus. And then we can get to the third phase, which we, we won't have time for. But if you spend a bit of time and you get to that place of just complete surrender, yielding to the Lord Jesus, He can take you further. And He can fill the whole picture. And you can begin to see him even in the storm. Even in the flapping sail, you'll see him. Even in the tension in the person next to you, you can begin to see him. Thank you, Jesus. I want to invite you. Make space in quiet and in silence in your life for the Lord. Every now and then, take a half an hour, take an hour, take a day, and just be quiet. Say, Lord, I'm not going to fill the space with my requests and my struggles. Perhaps I may start there, but I'm going to work towards letting you fill this place. Fill my heart, fill my mind. Lord, I thank you for your relationship with each of us. You're present, those are online with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are present with us right now. Right now. 
thank you that you know us, each of us, and that you love us. What a miracle. You love me. I pray right now that my life will be reorganized consistently and constantly around that truth. Forgive me for my tension, my fear, my anxiety, my stress, my doubt. Fill me with your presence. Give me your dreams for me and for the people in the world around me. That I will not love others because of what they can do for me, but that I will love them simply because I see you. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Forgive me for my fear and trying to keep control of everything. Forgive me for locking you out of my dreams and making it about me. I give it all to you. I surrender. I heal to you. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Just make time for the Lord. We can sense his presence right now. I can sense that many of you are just engaged with him, but I am aware of the time. And so I want to bless you and release you to go with the Lord. He's with you every moment of every day. When you turn to him, you will find him. Sometimes it takes a bit of work to get through the clutter and the noise, but you will find him. May you go in the peace of the Lord that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you want to stay seated, you're welcome. If you want to come forward for prayer, you're so welcome to do that. Please remember the Connect Lounge for those of you that want to connect with our team. Just ask for smiles to come and fetch those. We have a team that's ready to pray for people. But the team's going to continue just to minister a little bit. And if you want to stay in your seat and just be quiet, Let's do that. If you need prayer, come to the front. If you're going, may the Lord bless you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for those that are online with us on the radio. It's so great to have you with us today also.